0: Very often I look at architectural collaboration as languages. I've learned over the years that there are tremendous variations in language. And I do think there's a language and voice that architects find. And the best architects have that voice that's really clear.
1: Welcome to Tete, the Rice Architecture podcast series. I'm your host, Eileen Nosley, and this week's episode features a conversation about what makes the Totalization Studio unique and how it fits into the curriculum at Rice Architecture. Today we're speaking with Troy Schaum, who is an Associate Professor at Rice University and the Coordinator of the Totalization Sequence. We're also speaking with Nat Oppenheimer, who is a Structural Engineer and Executive Vice President at Selman. He also teaches at Princeton University. He participates as a consultant for the totalization studios and he's currently here for final reviews so thank you so much for joining us troy and nat
2: thank you for having us great to
0: be here
1: so i'm a current master's student going through the totalization sequence and i actually just finished up the studio with troy titled friends included it's been a really great experience i never really had anything like this in my undergrad Um, we've gotten to speak to really amazing consultants like nat had really great guidance from professors like Troy, and about three quarters through the semester decided that this has been a really great experience, and we want to talk about it on the podcast. At other schools, this is typically known as kind of a comprehensive studio, Mm -hmm. and so wanted to ask you, Troy, why do we have totalization here, why is it called totalization, Um, what do you think the significance of it is at this school?
2: I'll take this one at a time. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this. Uh, we've been doing totalization uh, in its current format at RICE for about nine years, and Nat's been participating in that with us uh, the whole time. It's an experiment that uh, started as a way to think through uh, the range of things that architects have to negotiate or do negotiate in um, the imagination of a project and how we can in a relatively compressed amount of time, 15 weeks, where it might take you, you know, five to 10 years to do a project, try to expose students and student architects to the kind of, to the range of things they might encounter uh, in a practice situation in a way that they can still be speculative, still be very imaginative with their projects, but actually leverage some of the technical expertise and some of the insight, the broader insight that um, consultants like Nat, uh, who come visit us and who we go visit, and uh, Bob Hingis, who's an alumni, bring to the, bring to the table. Utilization is an old word, it's a word that was coined at the uh, emergence of kind of modernist pedagogy in dealing with the Bauhaus education and Walter Gropius and thinking about the concept of a total project. And that idea um, we think has evolved and we wanted to revisit it as a term as we formulated this class and think of what constitutes a total for us today in, in the sense that as you graduate as an architect, what is the total toolkit of things you might need to be uh, an active, creative participant in the kind of broader field and industry that we're engaged with. Fundamentally, the program is is also trying to address the kind of expansion of technical expertise that's just required to, to master the projects that our students are looking at and we're looking at. And so you look at a project of Sana or Stephen Hall or OMA oh and you see what is clearly possible, but th- the the scale of the teams and the scale of the expertise required to imagine those projects is a very different thing when you in, in relation to the idea of a total now than it was of a total when uh, Gropius uh, coined the term for us.
0: For me, having been involved in this for, I can't believe, nine years. That's sort of shocking, <laughs> actually. and And having taught and created on similar, or I shouldn't say similar because I think there are Uh, differences at Rice, which is why I've stayed so involved and and been so interested in in investing in the the program. What makes the the program of totalization different at Rice, in my opinion, than other programs I've been involved in, is a couple of items. One is that there are other programs I've done where it becomes much more uh, tectonic and technical. It's like the the point of bringing the structural engineers to draw the right size footings. And, And that has value in certain programs. I mean, I think every program looks for what fits its program so there's nothing right or wrong but it's a very good fit at Rice in my mind and it's a very good fit for what I'm seeing in the industry and in what I deal with day to day so it's it's been a great experience for me to sort of get feedback in a way that's very um, resonant with what I do in my everyday practice so and there's a critical mass of students so I've been teaching for years at Princeton the integrated studio there with Paul Lewis which has been an incredible experience and is very much part of what Princeton is but it's a it's, first of all, you don't have to take it, and it's a much smaller group. So it's mm-hmm. eight or nine students each term, it's a smaller class, and that's it. So it doesn't sort of permeate the school. Mm-hmm. I think what Rice does and what Troy is, has done and what you know the dean has supported, which makes it unique and really great in my mind, is that the studios take on different characters and, and different projects within the four studios each year and then year to year. So it never feels repeated, it always feels fresh, and it feels sort of way, pushing all the sort of boundaries in every direction, which is great. So it doesn't just say totalization is about housing, always, or totalization mm-hmm. is about you know a pool, or about mm-hmm. this. So that's been really great. I think that the, um, to, to build on what Troy was saying, I think it's of a time, and it's what I see in practice, and what I love about working in these, these studios, is that it is incredibly difficult to get a building built these days. And, and what I've always said in these studios, going back prior to totalization is that the best moments in the studios are the failures. And that the, that the students seeing just how difficult it is to balance all these different priorities is a critical aspect of the success of the program. And that students who sort of see a eureka moment and think they've just sort of played it out in a beautiful way and getting are like, you know, done are the ones actually that probably miss the most opportunity of that frustration and failure and those sort of rabbit holes you go down in real life, the weeks you spend chasing something that turns into nothing, and learning how to learn from that, learning how to, to sort of understand when that's about to happen, when it's a valuable two week exploration that might get you something else even for another project and when it's not gonna get you that and and not regretting it, You know, not looking back, you're always gonna get something out of that. So I think those explorations are really critical. And I think that the discussions where the structural discussion catalyzes architectural moves is where it's most rewarding and where we have the most fun where it isn't about you know your column should be this big or why why did you put a column there it's more just that dialogue of saying if you were forced to put columns through this entire floor plan what would happen to your floor plan sort of what how strong is your idea and and forcing students I think for me one of the most wonderful parts of the dialogue and the challenges as you're growing as students is getting you to accept your role as author and, and, and owning and having confidence in your ideas and not sort of hiding behind the technological layers, not sitting there and saying, well, I did this because it's, you know, organic and it, it's found in nature and therefore there's a big curve here. But to really say, I want this to be this and, and this is what's critical to design. And so if I tell you you might need a column, that you decide whether it's worth pushing back there or not.
1: What I think is really interesting is that I, I came into totalization thinking I would get a completely different experience. I came into it thinking that, oh, we're going to solve all the problems in this building. It's going to be a more technically driven, not as conceptually driven and George prefaces the beginning of the semester saying like hey some of the consultants that come in are going to be a little bit more focused and then there are others that are going to come in like Nat who are looking at big picture who are kind of pushing these big ideas can you do this should you do this do you want to do this which has been kind of cool so when you came in um, we were looking at big picture structural like how does this work how can we make it work um, and then when Pat came in, which was a couple of weeks later, closer to the final review, we kind of honed in a little bit more on the details, which was really nice. And so this idea that you get to go through this studio without having to solve all the problems, but the idea that you get to kind of touch on the problems and know that they exist is really cool. Because when you go out into the real world, you're all of a sudden, you're like, there's so many problems, you know? How how, how do you solve them? So it's kind of a nice intro into that.
2: Well, I think it's important. I mean, we do solve some problems, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but um, I think it's important to understand, and there is an emphasis in the studio, and Nat and I uh, have also both talked about this, and I know he understands it as well, that in order to be uh, an engineer or a design professional at the level that uh, we're engaged in the profession and expected to lead in the profession today, I think what I try to communicate to my students in this question of problem solving is they have to be incredibly nimble. In the studio, it's not so much a question of whether or exactly how they solve the problem, but how they begin to frame the problems that need to be solved and prioritize the problems that need to be solved and how they can integrate um, a kind of strategy of problem solving to move through the project. Because as Nat was saying, the complexity of building, I always tell my students that it's um, really difficult these days even to build a bad building. I mean, <laughs> you can spend five years and a lot of energy yeah. and time and, and it could and can come out. Pretty badly, but you've solved a lot of technical problems because, mm-hmm. uh, because of the complexity of the building industry, and so having a strategy to actually integrate, which I think is important, and prioritize and and lead uh, a team to come together and solve um, not just solve problems, but have problems that are solved in support of broader ambitions of the architect and the and the project and the client and the and the, um, and the people that we work with and for. I think is an important uh, aspect of the studio creating that environment. If, if you say there's one thing I want my students to learn, it's about how to be nimble. Um, and so the, some of what y- I think you're describing is that we make drawings, we talk about drawings, and we talk with, with other people that help us make the drawings. And I think sorting out how to be nimble and how to communicate in that environment, I think, is part of what we're also trying to, uh, in service of the kind of ambitions of your project,
0: is something we're trying to, to figure out how to um, describe. Yeah, I think. I've been talking a lot, we, we were talking at dinner last night after the crits, about this broader question, and not to get too broad and political about it all, but there's a, there's a real moment in time right now, and it's really foremost on my mind, of, of asking these questions of why, and not taking certain things for granted, that why do you need to talk to a structural engineer in a project, <laughs> and not, not simply saying, well, the structural engineer be here because that's who you're dealing with, there's amazing software out there that can make anything efficient structurally. And so there's a dialogue I had with an engineer about a year ago that was a really great back and forth where he has done unbelievable work in parametric modeling of roofs and all these things where you take one shape and turn it around 85 different ways and create a curve that's like unbelievable. And, and he is very talented, and I'm not saying this dismissively, it was an interesting lecture because he showed this serpentine roof that had sort of no real um, place in nature other than somebody drew it. But the point of his lecture was how efficient it was. And my rebuttal was sort of like, well, a shed roof is actually a lot more efficient. You know, where'd that shape come from? And there was a lack of, there was a backing away from owning the shape. It was Mm -hmm. sort of like, but look how efficient we did it. And so I think there's that why. There's that moment of saying, own it, like have fun with it. You want that shape for a reason that's great, but then you got to stand up and say that, and then we will make it efficient. Right, that's yeah. fine. We, but we don't back away. We get in the
2: same <laughs> question all the time with, uh, um, with facades as well. I mean, uh, there's an assumption that you want a light glass facade by I'd say at least two thirds of the students as they start their projects, <laughs> and you realize well, there's, uh, you know, you can do a lot of work to make that as efficient as possible, but there's initial underlying assumptions that don't necessarily like lend themselves to the questions of efficiency, and so. I think that's really important to understand, and for the students to understand, you know, they can speculate about certain experiential or aesthetic or other kinds of uh, priorities for the project, and those things can become just as real and just as uh, tangible and important in shaping the direction of the project as as questions of uh, the thermal efficiency or uh,
0: you know structural um, lightness or tonn- tonnage of steel, etc. But yeah. it's interesting because the other sort of track I often think about this, and uh, and I appreciate coming to schools and. And working with students is is I look at very often I look at architectural collaboration as languages and and being fortunate enough and not sitting on a podcast name dropping but being fortunate (laughs) enough to have worked with a number of of firms that are well known I've learned over the years that there are tremendous variations in language and I do think there's a language and voice that architects find and the best architects uh, have that voice that's really clear and so As an engineering consultant, one of the things that I find myself doing all the time and and sort of teaching the younger engineers in the office is that you're speaking 15 different languages, which is incredibly exhilarating if you look at it that way. So coming down to totalization, coming down to rice, it always feels to me like both sharing that language, like Sanskrit Mm -hmm. or something, and learning new languages, like seeing what's out there as being discussed and the way it's being Mm -hmm. discussed. And it keeps it fresh so that when I'm sitting with – architects who have been in the business forever, or brand new firms, there's there's a constant bending of the mind around languages, you yeah. know, and how you discuss projects. And in totalization, we work in teams, and I think it's really interesting, this question of
2: language, uh, and that's something that I think in almost any creative practice that's collaborative like this, within a team, there develops a, th- a kind of meta-language, almost, where the team starts to begins to understand what the visual, formal and sort of verbal vocabulary is of that team and their their ambitions and their framework and translating that to different entities outside that team become important. So we have the, the groups within the studios, we have the studios that have a language and then at Rice we have all five studios essentially communicating mm-hmm. about their work. And I think that the development of that is part of the development of a kind of design culture. And as a consultant you get to plug into lots of those different cultures and they try to plug into your culture. But I think one of the things the studio is trying to highlight is that kind of interaction that takes place in order to develop a kind of refined project in a collaboration. Because everything that we do as architects and as engineers is a projection at scale. I mean, we work on these things in, in rooms like this one, surrounded by <laughs> books, maybe <laughs> with my, without the microphones. Therefore, a translation out into a kind of world, and so we're we're always in, in involved in this question of language and the kind of transactions that happen around language. And I think that comes out in the studio. Uh, you know, I don't know what you guys think.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think the the language also changes from year to year, studio to studio, and like uh, especially in a partnership, you have to develop your own language. For example, our our project is very kind of coded, and that's another language that's layered on top of what we're doing. Um, and so it's interesting to see how each group takes a single design prompt and develops an idea and develops their own language in which they can then present their projects.
2: Well, your project is working with an idea of the brick. Right. I mean, but you're not doing, the project's not made out of anything that we would call bricks. Right. Now we've got together. But there's a conceptual, and there's actually, uh, you know, in some ways that term is, is empty of meaning at this point. And in the outside world, but it's incredibly rich with meaning in with with you and Nicole and your project and communicating with me and communicating in that and the right. other people you're working with, and I think that that's a, a perfect example of a kind of project that develops a language that then uh, an actual verbal language describes a set of phenomena that then help you negotiate things at the scale of structure, things at the scale of uh, unit organization, right. or or uh, how people are going to kind of live in their um, apartments. Yeah, and yeah.
1: our our project has changed a lot since we first talked to you, but. And we remember speaking with you, we were trying to figure out what our structure was, how it was going to work, and you said something about, you know, these scalar kind of brick and mortar joints, and we both just thought it was amazing, wow, you know, we, could, we would have never thought of this. But you have someone c- who comes in who's seen so much and then can just look at your project in five minutes and come up with these ideas. It's pretty, it's pretty inspiring and it kind of leads you to think in a completely different way than what you were thinking of before.
0: There's no parlor trick to it. I think <laughs> I was just thinking about sort of what the difference <laughs> is because there were some review comments yesterday that I thought were there was a lot of fun dialogue and I think I think where I come at it from is taking that step back to define the character of a brick. So in the case of a brick, very often the trap again we'll all fall into is that there's a there's a concept of the brick and it immediately f- falls into okay, this is your idea and how are you going to support that? And I think some of the best conversations and the reason I really like to come early in the project is that there's an opportunity to have that just general conversation. So that brick and mortar conversation mm-hmm. came out of a general motivation on all these projects to just back up on everybody and say, you've stated that your project is about a brick. Let's talk about, not in a pedantic way, not in a like you should know better about a brick, <laughs> but let's just have a discussion about what that truly means. Like, right. do, you, do you have that clear Authored idea in your head of what you're truly trying to accomplish. Right? Is it sort of the visual of the brick, like the idea, or literally what it's good at and what it's not good at? Mm-hmm. And 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 does that unleash any architectural, you know, experimentation, assessment, anything that will advance the project? You know, it's always that search for advancing the argument.
2: Not. You're not usually yeah. probably a, a crit on a more typical architectural yeah. studio, but on a more typical architectural studio that I might teach with my third year undergrads or in other um, situations, you know, there's quite a lot of work on the form of the building, on the representation of the building, and we get the last week, uh, right before the charrette week <laughs> here at Rice, and the students say, oh, oh, my God, Troy, where do I put my columns? Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh you know, Where's uh, the facade? Uh, I just say, oh, my gosh, <laughs> where do I put my columns? Uh, or they say, uh, Troy, uh, I need a facade, right. <laughs> and and uh, and these kind of questions happen very late. And I think that's not. I'm not making fun of the students in that situation. Actually, there's a long history of thinking about architectural yeah. design in that way. Uh, that first you kind of ideate or you propose, and this is kind of Albertian way of thinking about the architect as the writer that kind of writes and designs, and then the design is then realized as a technical project and then and built. And there's a kind of a, a procedure order into these things that puts the idea first and the product at the end, or in contrast to the way these studios are usually taught, there was an idea that we could do everything, <laughs> that sounds <laughs> ambitious, but you're surrounded by books that say everything must move, so we could do everything uh, that we do in a typical studio plus everything that we also do in totalization in the same studio from what we call the technical documentation to the same level and exploration of a research topic and a research thesis. and what I think we find, and we'll see the results later this like morning. 30 this minutes. Like 6 <laughs> o'clock in the morning. Uh, we'll uh, uh, see if that's true, but we see actually, I think, much sharper research questions that emerge because of the confrontation with uh, the different aspects of the totalization studio than you would see in in
0: different studios. And that's not. A well, <laughs> I, think yeah, I, yeah. I, I go back to, I mean, it's funny, just going back to the basic premise in a way. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things over the, the 30 years I've been in this career and interacted with a lot of different architects I'm married to an architect I'm <laughs> steeped in the world but so I've sort of learned by osmosis and I didn't go to school friends for it. with some of us <laughs> friends, yeah, friends with many um what's fascinated me throughout the years and what I think I try to bring into the studio and to that discussion of trying to do everything is again and I said it before but I always concentrating on that sort of editing away the heroic when it's not appropriate and that everything comes within different packages and not to ignore the most straightforward and that the sublime comes out of sort of making this move that could be the simplest to free up more complicated, more interesting and illuminating moves.
2: That's a, I mean, I think that's a really important point in in teaching in general, but also in, in having design students, I think, start to explore various technical aspects of what we do. I always tell the students they think there's a huge disconnect between the kinds of representation the kinds of thinking that say they do in their first couple years of school and what they're going to do in the, the so-called you know real world and there is some disconnect but i always say you know you do know quite a lot and you just need to start to draw what you do know and you right. get that on the page and that's going to help you communicate with people you know like nat oppenheimer and and the other people that are going to be able to help you uh, resolve your issues for your project and and build on those but i think if you're scared to wade into that, Mm -hmm. you have to wade into that aggressively and actually draw it on the page. I mean, it's not, (laughs) we're not dealing with dark matter. It's stuff that you can see around you.
1: Yeah, and I I think that's key. Like when I graduated from undergrad and went to go work, I started an office, I felt like I knew nothing. And the biggest advice I got from people was, just start to draw, just look it up and you can draw it. And then someone will tell you, tell Mm -hmm. you how to do it. And I think totalization does a good job of just start somewhere, put it on the page, and then when you meet people, meet with people like you or Bob. You know they are the experts, and they can help you kind of flesh that idea out. But if you don't have it out on the paper to show them, then mm. you you can't get anywhere with it. Mm, yeah. So I think if we can end maybe on one last point, I'm I know Troy, you kind of touched on like what you would want students to take away from totalization, mm. um, but if you both had kind of like a one liner what that you would want to highlight about what do you want students to take away from this, and then also maybe what you take away from it in the end?
0: I would say, and I've said this often, so I'm gonna repeat, but I haven't been on a podcast to say it so it's not not been memorialized. I I, I think for me that the biggest thing that comes out of these studios is learning how to learn from failure um, and learning how to integrate failure into your everyday work, because it's gonna happen over and over and over and over again. And I've just seen some amazing projects come out of those discussions of failure, sort of what road you take out of that and how good an idea is to compete against constant bombardment of sort of doubts about the idea. And then letting go when it's time to let go. So it's like, it's learning how to have a real dialogue and not simply hold fast to a singular idea. So I, I look at that as the takeaway. That's more than that's one very long run online. <laughs> I want to um, put you on the spot a little
2: bit now. I have a question. Um, if you could remind me, you you speak about your um, your dad and his teaching poetry in, in some of your talks, and you've we've talked about it before o- over dinner. But there's a phrase your dad had that you brought up that something like have an idea, yeah. write it down. What's that phrase? Did well, you say it? <laughs> yeah, I, I probably
0: will get I probably won't get it exactly right, but it's basic. I mean, he was asked one time by somebody, by a student, I think, how do you write a good poem? And he basically said, you know, have a great idea, be there when it happens, and write it down. <laughs> and that was, you know, yeah. pretty straightforward. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
2: I think that's, uh, um, I just always want to remember that, and I thought this is a good time to also memorialize that. Uh, I appreciate that. <laughs> that. quote for us so we can come back to it. Yeah, I think the thing that I really want to get from, or I really want my students to learn from this experience is, kind of speculative ambition when it comes to the problem of limits and constraints, what they see as limits and constraints in their architectural practice, and to understand that space that we're in between the responsibility we have as architects uh, to the public and to clients and to the the, um, kind of world at large that we we need to take very seriously um, that produces a lot of those constraints, but at the same time, the space that we do operate within those constraints and how that how productive that can actually be in terms of framing a a good idea that that we can be present for and and draw.
1: (laughs) Great, well thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Check out the totalization tab on the Rice Architecture website to see student work from the studio. For more information, visit the latest news tab on the Rice Architecture website. Don't forget to subscribe to our page on SoundCloud to keep up with new releases. I'm your host, Island Nosley, and this has been Tete A